If you're joining us here on site, either here in the worship center or um, in the tandem venue or online, uh, welcome to part one of this brand new teaching series, um, It's Just a Phase. For the next four weeks, we're going to talk about family. And I'm just going to say this right from the very beginning. Um, Talking about family in our church is a little bit daunting for me. Because we have all kinds of families from all kinds of different places. You, you come from different families. We all come from different families. We all find ourselves in different types of families right now. So trying to hit the bullseye is really, really difficult for me. Um, but we're going we're gonna to walk through some of this um, because we're all either in a family or come from a family or we're experiencing family right now, whether you're a parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, you know, brother, sister, son, daughter. We all have family, and we all have a little bit of dysfunction in our family. Can we just go ahead and admit that from the very beginning? So we're all trying to figure out um, what family looks like. And we're, we're trying to figure out how to do family, how to live in family as best as we possibly can. So this series is about family. Yes, we're going to talk specifically to parents and grandparents, aunts, uncles, people who have direct influence over the life of kids. But this is really a series for all of us because we all know what it's like to have family. We all know what it's like to be in a family. And um, today's the introduction. So we're going to kind of look at it from a 30,000-foot view, kind of big, broad um, spectrum. Um, You're going to walk away with more questions today than answers. Um, That is not your fault. That is my fault. Um, But we'll hopefully answer some of those questions throughout the next couple weeks. Next week, Pastor Josh is going to come back and talk about how parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles can be the, the primary spiritual influence in the life of kids in the life of the next generation. Um, And then the third week, I'm going to talk about relationships outside of our families, how to leverage relationships outside our families and how to create this uh, family rhythm that actually makes a difference. And then the last week, Pastor Josh is going to be back uh, with a panel of experts talking about family and technology. How do we uh, navigate through some of that stuff? Um, So that's where we're going over the next four weeks. And so because this series is a series on family, I thought I would introduce you to my family for those of you who don't know my family, all right? You hear me talk about my wife or my kids every now and then, but here's a picture of my family from a very specific fun phase. Um, it It was really fun for Cole. It's a really fun phase for Cole. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Tim used to wear contacts? No? Nobody's thinking that? Okay. This is actually uh, a picture for a church directory that we were doing um, back in the day. This is not the one that made the directory, but um, it is a picture from that. Um, That little smiley boy is now 15. Um, That little girl that did not want to be there is now 13. Um, Jan and I just celebrated 20 years of marriage this past July, so that's our family. Yeah, okay, sure. That's more for Jana than it is for me. Um, but I, I, I show you that picture because I wanted to point out that Jana and I have kept um, a child alive for 15 and 13 years, which means we're successful, right? That's, that's how it feels sometimes. Now, we, we are not parenting experts. Um, and in fact, we're just trying to figure it out like everybody else, right? Like there's no manual, when, when, when they let us bring Cole home from the hospital, which I still don't know why, but when they let us, they didn't give us a manual, say, here's how to do it. 
Like, that doesn't exist. In fact, I remember the day that we did bring Cole home from the hospital. Got him in his car seat, um, you know, put him in the car. He's nice and snug and secure. And, and we're driving home. And I would not call myself a slow driver, but I wouldn't also say I'm Michael Andretti. I'm kind of somewhere in between. And it was the strangest thing. I could not get the car to go faster than 20 miles an hour that day. It's like all of a sudden, I was thinking about how I was driving. And, and, and the other cars on the road were way too close for comfort. Like I needed a mile, mile and a half buffer at least to feel comfortable. It was the weirdest thing. I'd never thought I need to be careful in my driving until my newborn son was in the back seat. And then we get home. And I, I, I remember walking in just thinking, <laughs> like, what do we do now? What do we, like, if we break them, do we get to take them back to the hospital? Because in the hospital, you have all these nurses, you have all these people that are telling you what you're supposed to do. And I didn't, I, like, what do you do? So I, I'm not coming at this as, as a parenting expert because I am still trying to figure it out in this phase, just like I was trying to figure it out in that phase. And so you say, okay, Tim, so why in the world are you the one talking to this, talking about this with us? Because you're not the expert. Well, there's a, there's a couple reasons that we want to talk about this. Um, number one, uh, family ministry is one of the main um, ministry environments at Grace Point. Um, years ago, 15, 16, 17 years ago, we decided to make a shift in our philosophy of family ministry. Uh, we really wanted to encourage and equip parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, the, the people who have the direct um, influence over the life of a child to be the main spiritual influence in the life of the child. And, and so oftentimes we think we just drop them off at church and the church will do that. Well, the church has a role to play, but the church is not the primary spiritual influence in the life of a child. We call it Think Orange. Um, we've talked about this for, for years because we believe that the home is represented by the color red. It's where kids experience the most love or should experience the most love. And the church is represented by the color yellow. It's the light of the world. And when you combine those two things, you have greater influence in the life of a child. When you combine red and yellow, you get the color orange. It's th think about it like this. Pecan pie is great. Whipped cream is amazing. You combine those two things, you'll get saved again. <laughs> Every time, right? It's amazing. That's what we're trying to do as a church. We're trying to combine the influence of the home and the influence of the church in the life of a child. And that's one of the reasons that we want to talk about. We want to remind ourselves. We want to remind you what we're about as a church. Um, and then the other reason we're talking about this and, and asking you to work through this uh, with your small group. I hope a lot of you are going to be doing the, the, the content that we're providing uh, for your small group. Uh, Jan and I, before we became lead pastors, we were youth pastors here at Grace Point for six years. And so we spent, we've spent over 18 years, a lot of time with a lot of families uh, through uh, difficult things, through celebration. Uh, we've seen a lot of kids grow from you know, elementary to those middle school awkward years to high school to college and, and beyond. When we got here, um, our communications director was in high school, and now she's getting ready to have her first baby. And so we've seen a lot of that. Um, we've seen a lot of kids grow up. We've seen a lot of families been in, involved in a lot of that, the good, the bad, everything in between. And one of the things I've realized, and we're going to talk about this, God isn't into perfect pictures. He's into writing better stories. That, that's one of the reasons I showed you the unperfect picture earlier. That was, that was probably one of the best phases 
in the life of our family, and that picture was anything but perfect. But God isn't into perfect pictures. God isn't into the Insta family. God is into better stories, and I hope you'll hear the gentle whisper of the Spirit of God say to you throughout this series, I'm not into perfect pictures. I'm into better stories. And I believe, I believe, God wants to write a better story in your life. God wants to write a better story in your family's life. I think he wants to redeem your kids. I think he wants to redeem your grandkids. I think he wants to redeem your parents. I think he wants to see your aunts, your uncles, your your wider family, your brother, your sister. I think he wants to see them redeemed because I honestly believe this. Maybe this is the only thing you came to hear today. God loves your family more than you do. He loves your family. He loves your kids more than you do. He he loves your brother, your sister more than you do. He loves your in-laws more than you do. It's not much of a stretch for some of you, but he does. God loves your family more than you do, and he wants to write a better story through this. And so that's kind of where we're going throughout this series. And, and as we jump into this, um, it's just a phase. I want to talk about what, what is a phase? What are, we, what are we talking about here? I just want to define it because this is the definition we'll use throughout the series. Okay, A phase is a time frame in someone's life that you can leverage unique opportunities to influence their future. It's a phase and it's a time frame in someone's life when you can leverage unique opportunities to influence their future. When I was in my mid-20s, I could eat whatever I wanted. Like there, there were moments, there were days where I ate an entire stuffed crust pizza, a large stuffed crust pizza, and then go play basketball for two hours. No problem whatsoever. I do that today, I'm in the ER, <laughs> right? But it was in that phase in my life when, when somebody pulled me aside and they actually patted me on the stomach and said, Tim, you need to start paying attention to how you eat. You need to start paying attention to your diet. And, and at first, I was really, really offended, right? And listen, it was not Pastor Frank, so don't think it was Pastor Frank. <laughs> he may have wanted to say it, but he didn't, right? It, it, I, I was really offended. I was really mad. And once I got past that, and it was just a 10, 15-second conversation, once I got past that, I thought, I think he's right. I think he's right. I've never thought about my diet before. I've never thought I need to eat healthier before, but I needed to start paying attention to that. You don't have that conversation with a five-year-old, right? You don't pat a five-year-old on the belly and say, you need to cut back on the chicken nuggets, big guy. <laughs> right? You don't, you don't do that. In my mid-20s, that's a unique opportunity to leverage so it impacts my future. So a phase, it's just a specific time frame that you have an opportunity not to control, but to influence someone's future. And so the question that I want to try and get us to ask throughout this entire series, okay, not just today, but the entire thing, how do you leverage the phase that your family is in today to keep your focus on God's better story? If, if God is into writing better stories, whatever phase you're in, Whatever age your kids are, grandkids, nieces, nephews, whether you live at home or you're at college or you're off on your own, whatever phase you're in, whatever phase you're in with your parents, whatever phase you're in, how do you leverage that phase 
to keep your focus, individually and as a family, on, on the better story that God is writing in you and God is writing through you. So here's what I want to do today. I want to talk theory for a minute, okay? And then I want to talk about the heart of it. I just want to kind of just lay this out. And again, some of you love theory. Some of you could teach this way better than I'm getting ready to. But I want to talk theory, and then I want to talk about the heart of it. The, first, the theory is the first part of the question. How do you leverage the phase your family is in today? And most of the time, to set this up, most of the time as parents, we get caught up in this question. What do you want your child to know at every phase? What do you want your child to And it's not completely your fault, like, it's not completely our fault, but we get caught up in this. Because when our kids are born, um, one of the things they talk about is the percentile your child is in, right? And when I, first, when I got that, I was like, oh, it's a competition. I didn't know there was a competition. It's like they're in the 95th percentile, the 50th percentile. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong or nothing valuable to that. But from the very beginning, we're almost conditioned to focus on where our kids are at in relation to other kids, in relation to other families, you're at the park, you're with another family, and, and you know, another mom, another dad, you know, little Johnny's three years old, and he's already read War and Peace. And you're like, what? It's like, my kid's three, am I supposed to be reading? Is he, right? Or, you know, my, my daughter's seven months old, and she's already walking, and your daughter's 15 months old, and she's not walking yet. It's like this, this thing that we, we're, we're just conditioned to, to, are they keeping up? Do, do they know everything they're supposed to know? Is there something I'm not teaching them that they need to know? Like, like the whole, are we supposed to have the, the dating and sex talk at 5 or 15 or somewhere in between? Like, I, how do you do it? What are they supposed to know in this phase? And those aren't bad questions. That's not bad. There, there are things we need to teach our kids. There's wisdom and skills to teach them. But here is a better question, I think. What do you want your child to know about God at every phase? I'm going to tell you why that's a better question at the very end of the message. What is it that they need to know specifically about God at every phase? So I'm going to give you a framework, okay? Give you a little bit of a skeleton uh, for that. And what I'm getting ready to show you, this is, this is not original to me. Uh, we've been partnering with an organization for years and years and years that does the homework with teachers and psychologists and theologians just dump tons of money and research into figuring out that question, the answer to that question. What does a child need to know about God at every one of these phases? And they figured out that, that every child has a specific need and a spiritual opportunity, a specific need and a spiritual opportunity. So I'm going to give you the specific need and the spiritual opportunity for the four phases that, that kids work through, okay? Now, first phase, pretty obvious, is preschool. That age zero to four, if age zero is such a thing, <laughs> age zero to four, um, this is the phase where kids are doing a lot of developing. That's not new information to anybody, but that there's, there's that age where two to three, they change more, and, and there's more development in them than there is in any other time until they hit like 15, 16. A lot of development going on. They're figuring out how their bodies work. Um, they're figuring out how gravity works. They're figuring out you don't touch the hot stove. They're figuring out that tastes sweet, that tastes sour. Lots of development going on in those first four years. And in that stage, I'm going to give you a word for each phase if you're a note taker. In that stage, in the preschool phase, you need to embrace. Embrace their physical needs, right? When you embrace their physical needs, you're communicating to them, I love you 
I'm going to care for you. I'm going to provide for you. And then you can couple that with God made you in such a way and God is going to care for you. God is going to provide for you. God is going to, to bless you. He's, he's there to provide. So yeah, you're embracing their physical needs, but you can also reflect a picture of a loving, caring God. It, it, it's, it's also, an, and you don't think about this too much, but it's also an opportunity to introduce them to God's greater family. Like when we know when a child shows up in the nest or the hollow, um, we know that we are the welcome mat to the family of God. That's the welcome mat. That's their first experience with the family of God, how we care about that child, how we love that child. That's their introduction to God's family. It's not just the nursery where we drop kids off so mom and dad can go to real church. That's not what it is to us. It's, it's the welcome mat to the family of God. It's their first experience with the church. That's an opportunity that we have as parents, as grandparents, aunts and uncles. Now, the other thing about each of these phases, there's an invisible question that kids are asking. And if you know that invisible question, it helps you leverage that phase for future impact. And the question, the invisible question that a preschooler is asking is, am I able? Am I able? This is why I want to do my buttons. I want to zip it up. I want to help you load the dishwasher. That goes away about 12, 13, right? I, I, I want to do, am I able? Okay, that's the preschool phase. Embrace their physical needs introduce them to the family of God and help them answer that question. Am, am I able? Second phase, elementary phase, kindergarten to fourth or fifth grade, depending on where you go to school, school district, whatever. Um, and this is when they're becoming interested in all kinds of different things. So the word for this phase is engage. Engage. Engage their interests. This is the, 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 the time, the phase, the season, appoint them to how God made them, how God wired them. You know, he's made them interested in certain kinds of things, and he's not in certain kinds of things. Um, it's where they start to explore those interests and see what sticks and see what doesn't really stick. They start to see at church, that guy's really good at singing. And that, that, she's really good at including people. And she's really good at, at, at hugging, and he doesn't like to hug. And that person tells a really good story. They, they start to see the diversity. They start to see the uniqueness when people come together in the family of God. It's made up all kinds of different types of people. And as they figure out their interests, there's more and more comparison going on. Second grade boy is asking the invisible question, do I measure up? Do I measure up? In preschool, we say, okay, everybody draw a flower. And put all the flowers up on the wall. Aren't these flowers beautiful? In second grade, everybody draw a flower. And then you put up on the wall and we put a grade on it. Or we put a ribbon on it. Or even if we don't do any of that, kids still look at it and go, uh, mine is not near as good as that one. And the comparison monster starts to poke around at their heart. The comparison monster starts to eat at their heart. So when we engage their interests at this phase... We help them answer that question, and we show them the beauty. We show them the diversity in God's family. It's the elementary stage. Next phase is middle school phase, grades 5 through 8, again, depending on the school district. Um, this is where, as parents, we start to move away from the controlling to coaching. 
right? And those of you who've gone through that phase understand that. As a middle school student, they're on the journey of making their faith their own. And as parents, as a church, we need to affirm them. You need to affirm them on that journey. Let them ask hard questions. Let them push back on everything you've tried to teach them. Let them them say things they're starting to figure out. One of the parenting hacks for middle school students, freak out on the inside, not on the outside. Right? Like if you want the, the lines of communication to remain open, you freak out inside, not outside. And then the invisible question that they're asking at this phase, who do I like? Who do I like? And the truth is, the answer is probably whoever likes me. Whoever likes me. They're looking for affirmation. They're looking for acceptance. And the people that give, them to, that, give that to them the most is who they gravitate towards. It's, it's one of the reasons that we do loop. It's one of the reasons that we do tandem. We, we want them to connect with people that they like at the ecclesia, <laughs> at the church, the, the, the people that are like them, the people that are learning and wrestling with the same things in, in their faith as, as they are. That's the middle school phase. And then the last phase is high school and beyond. In that phase, you want to mobilize. Mobilize their potential. Mobilize their potential. And you're thinking mobilize them to get a job and pay rent and put their own gas in the car. All those things are great. But what I'm talking about is mobilize their potential when it comes to following Jesus. Shocker that a pastor's saying that, I know. But let them continue to ask the, question, the hard questions. Continue to have conversations about that. Continue to freak out on the inside, not on the outside when they do ask those hard questions. In fact, the, the question they're asking at this phase is, do I believe? Do I believe? And more often than not, the question behind that question is, do I believe your faith, mom? Do I believe your faith, dad? Do I believe your faith, grandma? Do, you say all this stuff, but do you really believe it or are you just saying it because you want me to believe it? Do I believe what you believe about faith? I'm trying to make, figure out if I'm going to make this faith thing my own. So I'm looking to you, mom. I'm looking to you, dad. Look at you, Ma, Grandma, Grandpa, Aunts, Uncles, whatever it is. Do I believe? This is the phase um, also where we want to mobilize them to personal ministry. It's one of the reasons that we try to get kids at this stage serving in different types of ministries. We don't want them to think they have to wait till they grow up to serve Jesus' church. No. You can start right here, right now, right where you're at. It's a great time to experiment with all kinds of different ministries in the safety of the church. So we want to mobilize even even middle school kids, middle school, high school, college students, young adults for personal ministry. All right, those are the four phases. So the the questions that they're asking, the word that kind of represents that stage. That's the theory part of it. Again, some of you love that stuff. You could teach it better than I did, but I want to move on to the heart part, okay? This is the second part of this. If you remember the question, how do you leverage the phase your family's in today? That's what we just talked about. To keep your focus on God's better story. How do you keep your focus on God's better story? And, and the way I want to answer that part of the question is by pointing you to how Jesus sees your kids. Okay? If, if you're going to keep your focus on God's better story, we should probably look at how he views your kids. And the best way to see how God views your kids is to look at Jesus. 
to see what Jesus did with children. So we have two instances in the Gospels where Jesus interacted, or interacted directly with kids. The first one, Mark chapter 9, verses 36 and 37, it says this. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now this is, we, we could spend an entire weekend on this alone. But Jesus says, when you welcome a child, when you greet a child, when you engage with a child in my name, you're actually welcoming me. You're actually greeting me. You're actually engaging me. He's, he's getting to this idea that's taught all throughout Scripture, that, that, that children are made in the image of God just as much as adults are. Like we think, well, it's just adults. No, children are made in the image of God. We think our kids are special for all kinds of reasons, their gifts, their talents, their abilities, the way that they think. It's all because they're made in the image of God. That's the first point. Second, second time Jesus interacts with kids directly, Matthew 19, verses 13 and 14. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. The disciples didn't get this last time, but the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Why? For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. A few months ago, we worked through a series called Upside Down Kingdom. where We talked about the, the difference between earthly kingdoms and Jesus' kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is a different kind of kingdom based in love and grace and mercy. And Jesus says right here, children are a huge part of that kingdom. Did you know your children are a huge part of God's kingdom? That they can actually show us, they can actually reveal to us bits and pieces of what God's kingdom looks like. And how it operates. Like, you don't have to come to church and listen to me talk about it. You can just watch your kids. That's, that's what Jesus is, is getting at. If, if you're going to keep our focus as a family, as families, as, as, as immediate families, as greater families, on God's better story, I think we have to see our kids as Jesus sees them. And so here's my suggestion based on what we just read from Jesus, his, his own words. See your kids as made in the image of God. See your kids as made in the image of God. Got to be honest with you, I was really convicted by this this week. And again, it's going to make all kinds of confidence in your pastor. But too often, I tend to spend more time pointing out the image of sin in my kids than I do the image of God. I point out their failures. I point out their mistakes. I point out where they're not living up to God's standard, instead of pointing out, calling out the image of God in them. And the truth is, just like you and me, they already know. We know. We understand. Just like they do. What if instead, we, we point it out? That's the image of God in you. When they run, when they play, when they treat each other with honor, when they respect their mom, when they stand up for the forgotten, 
They, they, they seek justice in middle school for that kid who's always by himself. When, when, when that, those kinds of things happen, we can point that, you know what I see in you? I see God in you. That's the image of God in you. We want to see them made in the image of God to be molded into his likeness. Is there work to be done in our kids? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Just like there's work to be done in our hearts. We can't swing so far over to the other side and convince them that they are God. That's not helpful, and it's not healthy, and it's idolatry. We can't go all the way up. We should call out the image of God in them as often as we can so they realize the beauty and the agony of being formed into his likeness. It's a lifelong process, and there's beautiful parts of it, and there's agonizing parts of it. But as we point them to Jesus, as we call out the image of God in them, they're molded into Christ's likeness. Why? Why do we do that? Well, it's the next part. So they will be on mission with his movement. So they'll be on mission. See your kids as made in the image of God to be molded into his likeness and on mission with his movement. The last six weeks as a church, we have been talking about the ecclesia. That wasn't just for adults. That was just as much for our kids, too. They don't have to wait till they're 18, 21, 30 to be on mission with Jesus. His kingdom belongs to such as these. His, his kingdom includes kids. I mean, some of, the, some of the greatest movements of God in history took place because kids Kids stood up, and they were on mission with God. A lot of scholars believe that the disciples were actually teenagers when Jesus called them. And so, we, we, again, we see our kids made in the image of God to be molded into his likeness and on mission with his movement. Now, why should we focus on? Why should we only focus on, or why is the better question, what does my kid need to know about God at every phase? And, and I'll, I'll end with this, Okay. This comes, it comes from Reggie Joyner. Again, it's exactly what you expect the preacher to say, but I think, it's, I think it's true. Here's why. 100 years from now, the only thing that's going to matter is your child's relationship with God. 100 years from right now, the only thing that's going to matter is your child's relationship with God, not their GPA, not their batting average, not what school they got into, not their clothes, not the circle of friends that they're in, not that they made the traveling team, not that they didn't make, none of that's going to matter 100 years from now. The only thing that will matter is their relationship with God. All of those things that are part of growing up, they're a part of learning about yourself, they're a part of learning about life. The only thing that's going to matter in 100 years is your kid's relationship with God. So the better question is, what does my two-year-old need to know about God right now? And, and as they, they get into preschool, as their moms, their dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, there's lots of new and exciting experience they'll have. But don't forget to ask, what does my kindergartner need to know about God right now? And as they grow up, they get into middle school, and they're, they're anxious about going to middle school, you're even more anxious about them going to middle school. Don't forget to ask. What does my middle schooler, what's my fifth grader, sixth grader, seventh grader, eighth grader, what do they need to know about God right now in this phase? And then they get 
to, to high school, when they go away to college, when they get married, when they start having their own kids, moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, your influence doesn't end when they leave the home, right? It just changes. It just shifts. And so you can still ask the question, what do I need to help my 40-year-old know about God in this phase? What? I, I, I'm 42, and my parents, my grandparents are still influencing me. They don't do it in the same way as when I was at home, but they still influence me. They still have a, a say over impacting my future. What do they need to know about God in this phase? You have been strategically placed in their life. And if you believe God is who he says he is and has a plan for their life, you are a part of that plan. So don't miss the phase you're in. Don't wish it away. Don't just grin and bear it. Leverage it for the things that are going to matter most 100 years from right now. Because the only thing that's going to matter 100 years from right now is what they did with Jesus. So next week, next we're going to come back and try to answer the question, okay, that's true. How, how do I, as a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, how do I do that? How do I influence my kids? How do I influence my grandkids? What does it look like for me to be a, a primary spiritual influence in the life of our kids? So I hope you come back for, for, for part two of It's Just a Face. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get out of here. Father in heaven, thank you, first and foremost, for your word. Thank you for these these verses that, that seem to be completely out of left field, but Jesus, you were giving us a model. You were showing us how we're supposed to invest in, how we're supposed to treat, what it looks like for us as adults to see the bigger picture when it comes to kids. God, for, for those, who, um, those who have children at home right now and um, Goodness, the, the days are long and the years are short. And then we're tired and we're not really sure how to, to, to handle the different things that come in the different phases. God, would you give them wisdom to know how to invest in the, the, their kids in the best way possible for, for grandmas and grandpas, for great-grandmas and great-grandpas, for aunts and uncles, for anybody who has influence in the life of a child. Jesus, would you help us as your church, as your ecclesia, to continue point kids to what they're doing, to point, point kids to, to who you are, how you've made them, how they can be on mission with you. God, we just, we just want to be a part of your kingdom here on earth, and we want to be a part of be, bringing little bits and pieces of your kingdom to this earth as you taught us to pray. So would you give us wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard and courage to walk out of this place and to do it. And in the end, this is about your kingdom. This is about your glory, not ours. Thank you for this time. Would you go with us, go before us. Holy Spirit, empower us to do your work. In Jesus' name I ask.